That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, boy, what a remarkable day. Several new studies and models now suggest that if Donald Trump had simply declared a national state of emergency, largely shutting down the country a few weeks earlier than he actually did, that tens of thousands, perhaps a majority of the people who have died would not have died. I mean, he certainly had the information available to him. Back in November, the federal government was warning Israel that this was coming. In December, they were producing reports and sending them to the White House. In January, he was getting explicit warnings. And in fact, Peter Navarro, his trade advisor, sent him a rather detailed outline of exactly what was going to happen. But the problem is that Donald Trump doesn't read. There's a piece in the New York Times about this, the the frustrations that the people in the intelligence community have in briefing him. He won't read briefings. He will look at pictures. He likes satellite images. He'll look at charts and graphs, but, you know, he doesn't have the mental capacity to translate them into meaning, into stuff that is actually consequential. He doesn't even read memos from his staff. He, he doesn't read his speeches before he gives them, which is why he recites them so woodenly. Apparently, the only thing he reads is Twitter, and he doesn't read much of that because there's so much of it that doesn't like him. You know, Trump may have some natural skills. You say, oh, you know, he's an idiot. Well, no, he's actually a very good salesman. He's a pathological salesman. He lies, you know, which actually makes him a good grifter and a good huckster. So, you know, he's got a natural gift there. It's why, you know, back in the day when he was asked uh, during the campaign in 2015, he was asked, you know, who was, wh- who was his favorite author? What was his favorite book? And he, and he said, uh, P.T. Barnum, you know, who famously said, I don't care what they say about me as long as they spell my name right. So if we look at the statements from his previous teachers and professors, you know, they say that he had a mediocre or even poor intellect. So here's how banal... Our crisis is our president is a man who is not particularly smart and never reads anything. I mean, it's shocking, but that's what it is. He gets all his news from billionaire Rupert Murdoch's propaganda channel, Fox News, which is famously filled with lies and scams. Meanwhile, billionaires like Betsy DeVos are funding groups pushing defiance of stand-at-home orders or mask wearing that saves lives. This feedback loop between Fox And groups funded by right-wing billionaires and Donald Trump has produced policies that have caused tens of thousands of American citizens to die unnecessarily. And I think, frankly, you know, putting a billionaire in the White House while other billionaires are funding disinformation and misinformation groups and another billionaire is running a national television propaganda channel, This could lead to as many as a quarter million dead Americans by the end of the year. So my question, do you think that history will remember this? Is history going to be kind to these oligarchs or not? I'm asserting that not. But, you know, I think it's a reasonable question. Another one is, you know, there's, uh, I was listening to a piece on NPR this morning about, you know, how kids are having, there's this crisis of mental health among our children. And I totally get that. But for context, or perspective, I guess would be the appropriate word, Phil Proctor sent out his newsletter, it's Planet Proctor, 
And, you know, I subscribe to it. It's free. You can just get on his email list. And, and he does this really nice. And he's a comedian. He's, the, he's one of the four guys who, did the, who were the Firesign Theater. Two of them are still alive. Phil is one of them. And God bless him. He does good stuff. But, but just consider this. Imagine that you were born in 1900, in the year 1900, right, 120 years ago. On your 14th birthday, World War I starts. On your 18th birthday, it ends after 22 million people have died. Later in that same year, the Spanish flu epidemic hits the planet and runs until your 20th birthday with 50 million people dead. On your 29th birthday, the Great Depression begins. Unemployment hits 25%, world GDP drops 27%, and that runs until you're 33 years old. The country nearly collapses. When you turn 39, World War II starts. You aren't even over the hill yet. And don't try to catch your breath, Phil writes, because on your 41st birthday, the U.S. is fully pulled into World War II. Between your 39th and 45th birthdays, another 75 million people perish. When you turn 50, the Korean War starts, and 5 million people die. At 55, the Vietnam War starts and doesn't end for 20 years, taking 4 million people in that crisis. On your 62nd birthday, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, a tipping point in the Cold War. Life as we know it on our planet might end. When you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends. And Phil says, if you were a kid in 1985 and didn't think your 85-year-old grandparent understood how hard school was and how mean the bully in your class was, uh, think again. You know, they survived through everything listed above. It's, It's just brilliant. Obviously, our children and grandchildren, depending on how old you are, are going to have wild stories to tell their children and grandchildren. We are living through a time that is genuinely historic and extraordinarily traumatizing. And, you know, I raised this, this issue a, a week or two ago in talking about the Kauai resilience study on children who had really, really miserable lives and in many cases suffered really severe abuse. In, uh, you know, these were migrant workers on Kauai, Hawaii, on the island of Kauai, except that they couldn't migrate off the island. But they were the, kind of the equivalent of migrant workers. They were sugarcane uh, workers and or the children of sugarcane workers. And what they found was that while, yes, more than among the normal population were fragile, they also found that more than among the normal population were highly resilient in about equal numbers to the fragile. In other words, the, the bell curve became more of a, of a U, an upside-down U curve. And, you know, with, with larger chunks on the fragile side, larger chunks on the resilient side. So there is opportunity as well as danger in all this. And there's opportunity to tell our children and grandchildren and friends and neighbors and everybody else, you know, yeah, it's really easy to see all the horror just like it was for our great-grandparents, you know, who might have been born in 1900, to have seen the, the, all the horror of World War I and then followed immediately by the Great Depression. Well, actually followed immediately by the Spanish flu epidemic, then followed immediately by the Great Depression, then followed immediately by World War II, and then followed immediately by the Korean War. And then we had, you know, seven years of peace during the Eisenhower administration, and boom, it's off to Vietnam, right? We've been to hell and back in the last century, America was. And many of us learned from it, many of us grew from it, and I think that in many ways our country learned and grew from it. What came out of the Great Depression and World War I and the Spanish flu epidemic was the New Deal, Franklin Roosevelt's policies, which returned optimism to America. And then, you know, LBJ continuing that tradition in the 1960s with the Great Society inventing out of, you know, literally creating from scratch Medicare and Medicaid, putting them into place, and all across the country, everybody in America amending the Social Security Act by making this real. I mean, there's so, there's so much that, that we can look at and say, okay, you know, yeah, it's a crisis, but look what comes out of crises. So anyway, I just wanted to toss that out. I'll pick up your phone calls in a few minutes, actually. I also want to talk about what's happening here with the Trump administration, what's happening around the world with the statistics that we're looking at. So check it out. We'll be right back. 
So every week we do a special video. It's available over at TomHartman.com. And this week I'm talking about the relationship between Donald Trump and Fox News. Trump's recent uh, liberate these states with Democratic governors tweets, which seem to be actually calling for like armed revolt or asking, you know, his, his crazy followers to, you know, let's send some pipe bombs or something like one already has to Democrats. He did that two minutes after watching a Fox News segment basically saying the same thing. Fox News is programming the brain of the president, and their programming was, you know, basically developed by Roger Ailes to infuriate people. You know, this outrage as a way of holding people so that they can sell advertising. Over at TomHartman.com, check it out. Thanks so much. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Mike in Lameda, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, just wanted to amend that timeline you were quoting at the top of the hour about the uh, Spanish flu, so-called, and World War One. It actually occurred or appeared in the last year of the war and took a little dip in the summer and then came back with a vengeance in the usual flu season. There's a really good yeah, right. documentary on PBS that uh, shows all the people celebrating the armistice uh, wearing masks, because, of course, everyone was wearing masks to prevent spread of the flu back then. Well, and Woodrow Wilson, uh, when he went off to that signing ceremony in Europe, he got so sick that he was out for a week. I mean, they, they, yeah. they thought we may lose him. Well, he had uh, cerebral vascular issues, too, as we find out later. But in any event, uh, flu was a big problem in World War I. Uh, in fact, some wags have said that instead of calling it the Spanish flu, we should call it Missouri Army-based flu. Because it I thought was, it was Kansas. Uh, well, this is, it's hard to say where, because, yeah. of course, they couldn't even detect the pathogen back then because it was viral and far too small for right. anyone to see under a microscope. Right. But it was a military base that was down the road from a giant pig farm, or at least that's my recollection. I thought it was Kansas. Maybe it's Missouri. But I get your point, Mike. Spot on. But anyhow, so so we're learning that the, the various states have been lying about these statistics. Specifically right now, that what we know about, well, and also Nebraska and South Dakota have said they're not going to release statistics specifically or particularly about meatpacking plants. So, and they're not doing testing. And the testing criteria says that if you've ever been exposed, you don't qualify for a test. Rachel Maddow was going off on this night. It's pretty mind-boggling. So we've got at least five red states that are lying to their people and to America about their statistics. Then on top of that, we discovered that the Brookings Institute just published an analysis of what little data we have. And what they found is that High levels of high prevalences of new cases, that's over 100 cases per 100,000 people, is happening on a county by county basis overwhelmingly right now in counties that Donald Trump won in the last election. Of the 176 counties that have seen an increase in cases, 150, a significant increase in cases, 151 of them were won by Trump, only 25 were won by Clinton. And the ones that Trump won, he won by an average 12% margin. 80 of those counties are in the South, 68 in the Midwest. 159 of these 176 counties are in outer suburbs. In other words, it's starting to move into the white semi-rural suburbs. And the Brookings Institution found that it's just a mess, basically. You know, it's just a mess. And then on top of that, we discover that the CDC has been lying to us. Brad Reed uh, over at Raw Story, a new report from The Atlantic, says that the Centers for Disease Control, quote, has been conflating results of two different types of coronavirus tests. You've got the virus test that tells you if somebody has an active infection, and you've got the antibody test that tells you if somebody's ever been exposed. And the CDC has been mixing these numbers together and representing them all as if they're active infections, or maybe representing them as if they're cured infections. I mean, the way that they're dealing with this data is impossible to make sense of. Ashish Jha, the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute, said 
of what the CDC is doing. You've got to be kidding me. How could the CDC make that mistake? This is a mess. I suspect it's quite intentional. Tom Hartman here. Did you know that the Second Amendment was written to protect the slave patrols in South Carolina and Georgia back in the day? It's in my new book, The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment, available wherever you find great books. Darcy in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Darcy, what's up? I work in a hospital, and I, I work in the COVID unit a lot, and we have 8 to 10 patients in the COVID unit. Those are all positive. We have to put on the PPP every time you go into the different rooms, but um, they have us wear the same N- N95 mask as long as we cover it up for the whole shift, and then after the shift is over, they make us put it in a container, and they repurpose it, and then they give it back to us with our name on it, you know, uh, I mean, they to use it another time or whatever. But, um, yeah, we're short of everything. I mean, they pretty much divvy up all the masks for us for the most part. We don't have a shortage of the gowns or the gloves or anything, but or the shortage actually is only of the masks, all the different kind of masks that we have. Are you concerned, Darcy, that uh, Trump and Ducey opening up Arizona is going to mean that two, three, four, five weeks down the road, you're going to see something like they were seeing in the hospitals in New York City? Oh, yeah, definitely. As a matter of fact, I keep telling my husband, this is not going to end. And all my hospital co-workers, we know this isn't going to end. It's going to keep yeah. going on and on and on because these people just out there wanting to do whatever they want to do and no masks. And I don't like going anywhere except to, I have to go to work. And I don't even like going there because of that situation. But you got to do what you got to do. You know, you got to make that living. You know, we both my husband and I, and I are essential workers, and we both have to go out and make our living. You know, and um, but yes, I'm very concerned that Trump doesn't care about anybody but himself. Apparently, apparently, Darcy, stay safe and keep us up to date on how you and your husband and the, and the hospital and everything else is doing there in Tucson. Thank you so much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Larry in Broken Box, Oklahoma. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? It's Broken Bow, Oklahoma. But I was oh, just Broken Bow, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, no problem. I was just going to add a little information about the atrial fibrillation, the, uh-huh. the hydroxychloroquine. Basically, the mm-hmm. main thing that it's concerned is you do get AFib. And what scares people like me and a lot of, you know, is I have had it for 10 years, still do, is a threat of stroke mm-hmm. more than heart disease. And it's a, it's a uh-huh. very, very severe concern. So, in other words, if you, with AFib, take hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, it will exacerbate your, your uh, AFib, and uh, it could cause your heart to throw a stroke at you. Absolutely. Uh, any, any kind of arrhythmia yeah. uh, interruption like that that is basically is confirmed right. uh, can lead you into AFib, and a lot of people have this now. Yeah, I, I, actually, two friends of mine have, have gone through the uh, ablation, I think they call it, where they go and burn a little piece of the heart away to solve it. They have yes. gone through that successfully. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, stuff. that's true. One other thing I was going to yeah. add to you, though, when you were, I was listening, uh, moving forward in COVID, one of the things taking mm-hmm. place here in Oklahoma is the Department of Human Services is moving to make a majority of their people go to remote work, period and reduce cost mm-hmm. of transportation and uh, facilities. We're having budget yeah. problems like everybody else. So they're going, going yeah. forward, that's going to yeah. be a, this, a very real. Oh, I think so. And, and not just in government. This is, I think that the next big crisis is going to be commercial real estate because you've got a lot of companies that are just not going back to the office for a long, long time, if ever. So excellent points, Larry. Thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Keep us up to date on uh, how you're doing. Pat in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Hey, Pat, what's up? Thank you. Considering Ivanka has a manufacturing empire in China and probably goes there Mm -hmm. often, surely there's a large contingent of security and wide and varied capacity. I suggest the virus outbreak was known much earlier. And isn't absentee voting mail-in voting? Thank you, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Pat. And yes, absentee voting and mail-in voting are the same thing, although here in Oregon, that's all we have. We get a ballot in the mail, 
fill it out, send it in. In other states, you have to request it, then it comes, and then you know you, you do that. And that's like Michigan, for example. But yeah, yes to all of your points. And well said, Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's up? The thing that's bothering me is I just realized that the reason why my governor and a lot of red state governors want people to go back to work is I think they're scared that, you know, they're going to have to pay into to unemployment. And I just think mm-hmm. with this Trump economy, would, do you think that that would also drag his economy? I'm talking about Trump. Would this be, I mean, mm-hmm. if this was a long-term effect, which we are looking at, you know, because as we know, if they're sending us back to work and they, there hasn't been a fall in the numbers. In fact, it's the opposite. So at this point, would it be a drag on his economy? I'm talking about Trump. Yes. Uh, and I mean, Trump is caught right now. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place because in his mind, the only way he can get reelected is if, quote, the economy is good. Also in his mind, because he has never worked a day in his life as an employee of somebody else. But, you know, his, his father was a multimillionaire and he worked for his father's little real estate empire there in Queens uh, as a kind of slumlord, which was the Kushner family, too, thing. Uh, you know, they were slumlords. But it, Trump worked his way up out of that, I suppose you could argue. But the, the bottom line is that he thinks that the, the only metric by which you measure an economy is the stock market. And so he's got Jerome Powell juicing corporate debt so that these corporations, you know, so that their stock prices don't collapse. And it's setting the country up for a collapse. It's going to be a disaster. And there's no way out of this. I mean, if he'd just been honest with people and said, we're going to go through a hard time. It's going to last a couple of years. We're going to do everything we can to save lives. I mean, if he had talked like Angela Merkel or, or Macron, their people are forgiving them. You know, even, even Boris Johnson is being forgiven somewhat, although a lot of that is because he himself got sick. But, you know, the bottom line, people need to understand that this ain't going away this year. And Donald Trump doesn't get that. And he's placed all his bets on that. I think he's going to lose badly. Charles, thanks for the call. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is It Came From Something Awful, How a Toxic Troll Army Accidentally Memed Donald Trump Into Office by Dale Byrne. This is from the introduction. On a warm summer day some 13 years ago, I found myself in the frigid air of Baltimore's convention center attending Octacon, a gathering of otaku superfans of Japanese media, mainly anime and manga. I didn't particularly like anime. I felt I was a little too old for the event. I had attended a few times when I was in high school in the late 90s. Back then, it had been held in a set of hotel conference rooms darkened to play obscure animation taped off Japanese TV. But in recent years, the crowds had grown big enough to require the city's largest venue. And the event had evolved, too, into an elaborate festival where otherwise isolated suburban kids came to bond over their favorite TV shows. And he goes through a fairly lengthy description of the convention center and whatnot. And he says, for this reason, entering into the cool, safe bubble of Octacon, where adolescents attempted to commune with the comforting kids' fantasy on the other side of the screen, felt slightly unsettling to me, though I couldn't put my finger on why. And at a certain point, wandering the triangle-shaped halls lined with wooden ships trapped in bottles, handing out flyers for my webcomic to teens dressed as rubber monsters, things started to get weird. Not for me, then. I hardly knew what I was seeing then. But for all of us, now. Years later, I realized I had become an indifferent witness to a turning point in history, a vast secret hinge upon which world events would swing. What did I see? Well, more of the same. Kids in costumes. At the front of one room, there was a 15-year-old boy with a sharp chin, golden locks, and a baseball cap going through a PowerPoint presentation that was a mixture of web statistics and lewd jokes mocking various types of cartoon pornography. Excuse me. These included many fan-drawn images of the boy himself, depicted as a curvaceous pink cartoon cat girl wearing white panties. As the increasingly silly Photoshop drawings slid by, the raucous crowd shouted words of encouragement, gearing up for the late-night techno dance party that would follow. Despite all the adulation, the boy seemed slightly ill at ease. The cap was slung a little too low, as if to disguise his eyes, and he let his friends at the table do most of the talking. This was one of the first meetings of the now infamous online message board, 4chan.org. The boy in the cap was the site's founder, Christopher Moot Pohl. In October 2003, bored and in need of porno, he had programmed 4chan on a whim to trade pictures of anime girls with his friends but soon discovered thousands and eventually millions of other people wanted to use it. It seems ridiculous to say the site was important, but even more ridiculous is as important as already documented in the history books. In Alt-America, David Neewert wrote that the Nazi-worshipping alt-right began with 4chan, where people were talking online about Japanese anime. Few of these books, including Neewert's, offer an explanation for how this could have possibly happened. How we got from anime otaku to the anime Nazis of 2016 and onward. How all of this resulted in internet weirdos marching with tiki torches and similar fantasy-themed costumes in Charlottesville in 2017. Of course, the kids in that room weren't Nazis. Far from it. The last thing they wanted to do was discuss politics. And at that moment, I certainly didn't feel as though I was present for some great turning point in history. In fact, it seemed like I was confronting yet another moment of anti-history as the vast landscape of the American suburban nowhere land was imported into the convention center, a place that, in its expanse of smooth, clean carpeting, model ships, and 
big tumbling geometric shapes, felt a little like an infinite kid's rec room. The teens weren't trying to make a mark in the world, they were trying to escape from it by pantomiming discarded scraps of fiction. However, looking back, it all reads like some crazy premonition. As the microphone was passed from rubber dinosaur to trench coat mafia kid to see which to ask their curly-headed leader questions, the teens slash monsters kept debating and joking about things called memes and trolls. In the mid-2000s, these terms were meaningless to anyone outside the room. But later they broke out of that room and saturated every inch of the world. And stranger still, from 2016 onward, memes and trolls became central concepts that obsessed political commentators. Almost overnight, the terms invaded the domain of world leaders and redefined the contest between them. Now there are Russian trolls, Facebook trolls, and of course, the original 4chan trolls, all jiggling through the ether. Back then, I was surprised to find that I knew what these terms meant. Before I encountered 4chan at Octacon, the site constantly popped up in my webcomics referral logs, the data that shows where people came from when they visit your site. When 4chan began, it wasn't all that different from other online message boards. It was a place to post content and talk to people on the Internet. At the time, it imported a few innovations from Japanese sites, which accounted for some of its popularity. It was easy to post images. And following a Japanese custom, it didn't require the user to sign up for an account. Anyone could post under a default name, which eventually became the name of all 4chan users, Anonymous. But this hardly explained why it ballooned so rapidly. Why, almost as soon as it appeared, people began gathering to celebrate it. The book, It Came From Something Awful by Dale Byrne. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Yeah, hi. Well, we have a group here in the Santa Cruz area that defied the 11 to 5 beach ban last Friday, and they held a protest. Their leader is a guy by the name of David Rodriguez. He actually got on a radio station that has your show on from 4 to, I believe, 5 in the afternoon. So they don't have it on in the morning. But this was on yesterday. He was on K-Squid FM. And everything that came out of his mouth, he was a guest on this show, everything was disinformation and misinformation about COVID. Now, we've been very lucky in Santa Cruz in that there's been very few, a couple of hundred cases maybe, and two deaths. And one of the reasons is because we've had this lockdown all these weeks. We haven't met the criteria that Gavin Newsom has set to open more, but some businesses are reopening. It hasn't been a lockdown like in Spain or Italy, where you can't even leave your house. You can go surfing and kayaking any time of the day. The 11 to 5 ban is meant to keep people from gathering on the beach and socializing on the beach. And, you know, these people just decided, you know, it was infringing their freedom and their right. This guy talked. Dennis, do you know if there's going to be any effort to track these protesters and see if this uh, became an outbreak uh, center? I I know California has put into place contact tracing. It seems like probably two, three weeks from now, we'll be able to look back, maybe even a week from now, we'll be able to look back and see if this became a hotspot. You know, if, if any of the if there was one super spreader in that crowd, you might have you know, 30, 40 cases that came out of it, and that might have spread into the community and become now two or 300 cases. And I suspect there's going to be a lot of these kind of stories, Dennis, where we look back and go, oh, yeah, those were the guys who were in front of the Michigan uh, state capitol you know, a couple of weeks ago, and now look at this, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, we've seen this now documented with a couple of churches. Well, I'll say one thing. I live in Aptos, and we have a grocery store about two miles from where I live. About five weeks ago, seven people who work at that store tested positive. One of them got extremely sick. The store closed down for a little over a week, and then it reopened. So I guess David is totally ignorant of that fact, as he is of many facts, and that he, you know, gave just all yeah. this. Dennis, Dennis, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this right now because Mr. Rodriguez is not here to defend himself, and I just... I'm very, very uncomfortable with those kind of conversations. I was trying to put it in a more general context there for you so that we could uh, you know, discuss it without trashing an individual person. 
but it's not something that I like to do on this program. I, I, I realize it's kind of the stock and trade of right-wing hate radio is to identify people and vilify them and trash them and all that kind of stuff. I've not found much value in that, frankly. I find that calling somebody out, you know, for example, <laughs> Donald Trump or Kelly Loeffler, when they do, so, you know, public officials who do public things. But, you know, I don't know that much about your situation. I can't certify it. I can't validate it. I'm not going to let it continue. It's the Tom Hartman Program. Stick around. Broadcasting live from Portland, Oregon. Sheltering in place, as it were. Tom Harbin here with you and uh, Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind today? We all have to tell Biden's campaign to get him out of the basement. I agree with you 100 percent. Or at least stop talking about it. Yeah, it makes me want to cry. I want him up in the living room or in the yard on a sunny day or cooking in the kitchen. And it's driving me crazy. All the talk show hosts, Colbert, he was on his deck. He was in his bathtub. He's cooking. Biden has to, his campaign, I don't know who runs it, but we all have to let them know that. That's crazy. And then I love about AOC should be Speaker of the House. I really love that idea. Yeah, I mean, I do too. Jessica, thank you. Thanks thanks for the reaffirmation there. Sherry in South Hadley, Massachusetts. Hey, Sherry, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. I was just noticing in the news that they have put someone in charge of the United States Postal Service that is an ally to Trump. Yes, a major donor to Trump and to the RNC. Yeah, but the timing is amazing because everybody is now saying that voting by mail would be the safest way to vote. And now even that could be easily compromised. Yep. And if the post office goes away, you may have to spend 15 bucks with Federal Express or UPS to have it express letters sent with your mail-in ballot. I don't think they're going to go that far, Sherry, but I'm, you know, we've danced up to a whole bunch of lines here and, and right now, dead Americans. And there's not much controversy around the fact that had Trump shut the country down in February, when he knew what was happening. He, he couldn't have ignored it at that point. We already had confirmed cases in the United States. The first one was January 19th or 20th, which was the day, by the way, that South Korea went, you know, totally locked down, test everybody, roll all this stuff out. And they have, bro- they have broken the back of this virus in South Korea. And they have reopened that country or they're large, you know, largely in ways that are safe. But you can't reopen a country if you don't have widespread testing. As I said earlier, I would, you know, I would love to hang out with my grandchildren, but I can't do that until they're tested and I'm tested on the same day. And, you know, the rapid test should be available to everybody. And, and Trump has made absolutely no effort at the federal level to do that. Instead, he's told the states they have to do it. And then you get this thing Rachel Maddow was talking about where the, these scammers in Utah put together tests, their own tests that seemed to be weirdly only half as effective as regular tests. And then they sold them to a couple of other states. And now the scam is buckling and all this kind of stuff. So, yes, Sherry. And the post office, it's not just preventing us from voting by mail this fall. Their real end game, the, reason, the real reason they're doing this is they're, you know, you've got companies that are lobbying them like crazy. I mean, keep in mind, Carlisle Group that the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, used to work for, spent a billion dollars over 10 years lobbying in Congress, $100 million a year. $100 million when you've only got, you know, a couple hundred members of Congress will buy you a hell of a lot. And the Carlisle Group, of course, you know, owns a whole huge pile of defense manufacturers, which is the most lucrative business in America, or it was until very recently. May, you know, and probably still is, probably still is. So, you know, there's, there's nasty stuff going on. Ed in Mansfield, Ohio. Hey, Ed, what's on your mind today? Wanted to get your opinion. Um, you know, there's four senators that have allegedly dumped stock right after coronavirus meeting. However, Richard Burr has been dealt with the most harsh. I'm wondering, you know, the Senate Intelligence Committee came out with a bipartisan report saying, yes, Russia did interfere in the election, and yes, they did want Trump to win. Right. 
I think that's maybe why Burr has been targeted so heavily. Oh, count on it. Count on it. Trump is going after Burr. He sent the FBI after Burr because Burr is now his political enemy, even though he's a Republican. And Burr is retiring, right. by the way, as well. So, so Trump doesn't give a rat's ass about the future of Richard Burr. So he's going after yeah. Richard Burr. But Kelly Loeffler, she's up for re-election in Georgia. She's not retiring. She may win that seat. Who knows? And her husband is the president of the New York Stock Exchange. And, you know, mm-hmm. Trump ha- has fantasies of someday the Trump comp- organization going public and all this kind of stuff. And her husband gave a million dollars to a Trump super PAC. So, you know, surprise, surprise. And it may well be and one of have- super PACs th- that's paying huge salaries to Trump and his kids. Again, right. so go ahead, Ed. And you have Jim, M- you have Jim Imhoff, who's one of the biggest climate change deniers, who also yeah. has skated scot-free so far. So. Yeah, and then and then Diane Feinstein was the fourth one that they were accusing, but uh, she yes. uh, she's actually a very very wealthy woman. Her husband, I believe, is right. a billionaire, at least a multi multi millionaire, and she has a professional money manager who handles all her stuff, and she doesn't interact with mm-hmm. him. So she's been able to demonstrate that, and nobody's suggesting, to the best of my knowledge, that Diane Feinstein, you know, is dirty in this thing. But uh, it was right. just a lucky call or a good call on the part of her money manager. But that's the lineup, and the one guy who said Trump was put into office by the ref- Russians, even though he's a Republican, is the one guy that the FBI is knocking on his door. It stinks. Yeah. Ed, thanks for the call. Doug in Phoenix. Hey, Doug, what's up? Hey, Tom, uh, how, how are you today? <laughs> I am great, first but I'll all, get better, uh, Doug. What's on your mind? Yeah, yeah, I love that line. Hey, first of all, thanks for signing my baseball some five years ago, but moving on. Hey, we moved uh, out of here like so many uh, moved out of Southern California to Phoenix, and uh, we brought our mother-in-law with us. Uh, she's 90 currently resides in a um, an assisted living home where it's you know kind of close oh. quarters if, for lack of a better term yeah. there's absolutely zero testing going on and i mean zero staff they're not testing the staff began, yeah the staff only recently began wearing masks as of uh, maybe a week ago i i, I oh. suppose out of public shame not policy yeah and it's just kind of despicable, and they hide the numbers and don't tell us what's going on with the deeper nursing homes. There are numbers out there that they're not disclosing. Yeah. Well, this is what and we're learning. Really this is... I just thought I'd drop that in there that, you know, yeah. kind of anecdotally we see it. And uh, they, yeah. they don't care about those people. Yeah, I, I agree. And in fact, care. some of the, you know, Trump the other day said that uh, the people who are dying are the people who are at death's door. Right. And in other words, we don't we don't care about them. Uh, Trump was saying, Doug, thank you for the update. Yikes. Mary and say and keep us up to date on how your mo- mother-in-law is doing, Doug. Mary in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Mary, what's up? Yes. Hi. I wanted to tell you that I was at a protest yesterday by the Minnesota Nurses Association protesting cool. that they're not getting enough PPE. And we specifically talked to the ones that were working at Bethesda Hospital, which is where all of the COVID patients are going until they overflow to other ones. But anyway, they were saying that they have to use the same mask for five shifts. And also, the other thing that I talked to them about was chloroquine. They were giving it to people as kind of experimentally if they wanted to, but they stopped Mm -hmm. doing it because they were having to send too many of them over to different hospitals because they were having heart problems. Wow. Yeah, that's the, the yeah. you know, that's the one known side effect of, of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine is that they cause what's called, you know, uh, I believe it's called long tail or long Q or something like that. There yes, is a, long, long a QT, of, long QT. Yeah, long QT. Yep. There you go. And, I have and that in my this family. puts people... Right, and this puts people at risk for fibrillation and and heart failure. Is that not correct? The electrical conductivity kind of heart failure as opposed to the artery or vein blockage heart failure? Well, I can't comment on that. I'm not a nurse or a doctor myself, but I I, I do believe that it is a problem with the electrical. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yep. it's an electrical signal problem. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. apparently Trump is going to stop taking it. I guess, you know, after he admitted it, probably somebody sat down oh. with him and said, really, here's the science on this. And he's like, oh, oh really? I don't want to die. Okay. You know, oh, I did not one know of the that. side effects is psychosis, too. But how would you know? Right, Mary? I right. mean, you know, if one of the side effects is psychosis and Trump takes this drug and he goes psychotic, how would you know that he's gone psychotic? I think he would just... <laughs> you like would gone. never know, be able to tell the difference. There you go. Exactly. Mary, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. 
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Tom Harvard here with you. The grift continues. What do we do about this? How do we do it? It seems to me that the solution is going to be at the ballot box in November, assuming that, you know, the Republicans don't manage to completely screw up our elections in a way that throws us into the 12th Amendment. But beyond that, the other large part of it is informing people. And it seems that perhaps... You know, Trump going out every afternoon, you know, like he did yesterday. Again, I don't watch these things, but I see the clips, you know, the later on in the news, which is the only way that I can digest even a little bit of Donald Trump. I'm, I'm starting to get physically nauseated when I hear his voice. It's just it's like this reflexive response. And I've had several people now tell me that they're experiencing something like that. Uh, one said he feels rage. Another another said that she feels sick to her stomach. I'm getting that, too. And his numbers are dropping like a stone. Now, keep in mind, there's a lot of time between now and November. But it's, uh, it's amazing. Anyhow, let's pick up your phone calls here. David in Spotswood, New Jersey. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Hey, good afternoon. Um, I just wanted to call in and, and rant about the, the governor of Georgia opening up and also a lot of other right-wing or conservative politicians across the country trying to echo in, saying they don't care and open it up. Their whole reasoning is, is, is that it makes economic sense. But they've done research on this. I'll use as an example Thailand. Like, let's say in Thailand there's a region and there's a paint factory, and the paint factory puts the um, dumps turpentine into the river. The workers there don't spend money into the economy because they know they're going to get sick because they have to. They have no choice but to drink the water from the river, which unfortunately the REPA rules have been suspended as well. But the thing is, is I'm really disheartened by the mainstream media because the mainstream media should be educating people about this. It's actually counterproductive to a good economy. I mean, you should be quoting Lyndon Baines Johnson, who said that any Jack A, you know what 
can kick down a barn, but it takes a carpenter to build one. Thank you. I'll right. cue into your response. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right, David. And let me add something to it. That's That was a trenchant observation. The other advantage that Ron DeSantis gets in Florida, Brian Kemp gets in Georgia, Greg Abbott gets in Texas, if they, quote, open the state, and that eight other Republican governors who never closed their states continue to have, is that when people in those states lose their jobs because the economy has been shut down by a disease, not by a governor, if the governors don't recognize that, those people will not qualify for unemployment benefits as being involuntarily separated. And in a lot of states, if you are fired or laid off, as opposed to not having any control over why you're not there any longer, you don't get unemployment or you get radically reduced unemployment. And you don't qualify for things like food stamps in some of these states or, or you know, housing assistance or any other kind of assistance. And I, I believe that that's why these Republican governors are doing this, period, full stop. I think they're just doing it to screw people on the unemployment. And I think that people are starting to figure that out. James in Burnsville, West Virginia. Hey, James, what's on your mind? Hello, Mr. Hartman. Thank you for taking the call. Hey, uh, I found out something the other day. Our nurses at the VA hospital... They're only mm-hmm. given uh, two uh, masks for a month. Now, Trump and Kushner stole millions of protective equipment from the VA hospitals and the veterans the other day. It's five-time it draft five dodger. It's five, yeah, this five-time draft dodger has kicked every veteran in this country in the teeth. Everybody that's a veteran, everybody that's got a veteran as a... A family member and everybody in the military needs to vote this criminal out when that when we go to the polls in November. Look what he did to the guy in the Navy. That Theodore, it's got over a thousand cases of that COVID nineteen now, and they kicked him out. Now I yeah. hope whoever the next president is puts him over the Navy. And thank you. Yeah, that was Captain oh, Crozier. You know the uh, swamp that Trump was going to try to get rid of. Well, he got rid mm-hmm. of it. It's longer, it's deeper, it's wider, and now it's a sewer. Yeah, I'm with you. James, you live in West Virginia. A good friend of mine lives in West Virginia. His sense of it is that people are starting to wake up, although a lot of people are still just burying themselves in the Fox News bubble. What's your sense of uh, how things are going in Burnsville and communities around there? Do you think that people are starting to realize what's going on? Obviously, they have at your local VA. Well, sir, a few of my friends has finally seen, they voted for him the last time. They said there would be no way they'd vote for Scrinimal again. But I've got two or three other friends that I just can't talk to them about it because they get mad. And I don't know, it's, I think it's something like a cult, you know, like Hitler did in Germany. I, I, I really think that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. With your friends who have woken up, what was it that pushed them over the top? Well, all the lies. He stole over 18,000 lies, and, and, and it finally sunk in that he's committed adultery on every one of his wives. He's been nothing but a thief his whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. James, James, thank you for the call. Excellent points all. Sandra in Rockport, Texas. Hey, Sandra, what's on your mind today? I live in a red state, a red county. I keep getting feedback from people regarding the fact that they don't believe the numbers of the dying, uh, even the numbers that are sick on the COVID-19. I keep just feeling, I, I wish CNN, where they put up numbers or some organization, as to put a face with this, to have the people that, that are dying. If we're in a war, you know, let's show those faces. I agree with you, Sandra, and I've been saying this for some time that Kate Steinel was this woman in California who was accidentally killed by a guy who was a Hispanic fellow who was not here in the country legally. And the right, uh, particularly Fox News and and right-wing hate radio, turned her into a saint. Ask any right-winger, any Fox News person, you know, viewer who Kate Steinel is, and they can tell you the whole chapter and verse because they put a face on, quote, illegal immigration with her. And, you know, we need to be putting a face on this thing. I mean, maybe this actor, uh, Nick Cordero, 
uh, would be the yeah. guy. I mean, he lost. He's 41 years old. He lost a leg to coronavirus. He just woke up after five weeks in a coma. And, you know, his life has been forever altered. And, uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Do you have recommendations for who we should be, uh, you know, holding up as the poster child? No, I really don't. I mean, it's just it's so monumental, the mounting daily. And therefore, that's why I say, let's just show a face instead of just those numbers. Let's be revolving a face somewhere. And that's where I wanted your opinion is, where do you go? I'm active in my Democratic Party here, and I'll do whatever it takes, any avenue you think I should go down to try and get larger organizations or something to to start putting that base up there of these people that are dying. Yeah, we need to be doing that. Sandra, thank you for the call. I'm with you. I'm with you. At a certain level, it's really going to require some sort of coordination from the Democratic Party. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Cult of Trump. A leading cult expert explains how the president uses mind control by Stephen Hassan. This is from the introduction. Just beneath the surface of Trump's woe is me facade is a messianic streak. He may not come out and say he believes he is a messiah, but he has done nothing to dispel the notion popular among some Christian followers that God has chosen him to be their leader. Certainly, he makes no bones about the fact that he is the only one who can restore America to an imagined past glory and save us from a terrible future. One of Trump's earliest campaign moves was to establish the image of a great shining wall in the minds of his followers. The wall was a key piece of Trump propaganda to insulate, isolate, and elevate America from the rest of the dangerous world. The idea was actually suggested by political consultants Roger Stone and Sam Nunberg, who were looking for a mnemonic device that would keep Trump on message. Trump didn't love the idea at first, but he tried it out at a rally and the crowds went crazy. It turned out to be a stroke of marketing genius. Not only did it play on the us versus them trope, but it also allowed Trump to conjure images of murderers and rapists amassing at the southern border. It allowed him to instill fear in the hearts and minds of his followers, far beyond what is the norm at campaign rallies, and yet straight out of the cult leader playbook. The Muslim ban, which Trump tried to implement early in his presidency, was a variation on this theme, as many of the Christian right fear that Islam wants to rule the world and impose Sharia law on Americans. Trump uses all kinds of cult tactics, lying, projecting his weaknesses onto others, deflecting, distracting, presenting alternative facts and competing versions of reality to confuse, disorient, and ultimately coerce his followers. Repetition programs the belief into the unconscious, but fear-mongering tops the list. In my experience, phobia indoctrination, the creation of fearful thoughts to promote and reinforce a desired set of beliefs or behaviors in followers, is one of the most powerful and universal techniques in the cult leader's arsenal. This is why Trump spends so much time, so much air and Twitter time painting a frightening picture of the danger posed by immigrants, Mexicans, Muslims, the migrant caravan. The more vivid the thought or image installed in people's minds, the greater hold it has on us and the less susceptible we are to rational or critical thought. There are other enemies in Trump's world, globalists, radical left-wing Democrats, socialists, Hollywood actors, the liberal media, all of whom want to destroy America. Inspiring fear of real or imagined threats overrides people's sense of urgency. It makes them susceptible to a confident authority figure who promises to keep them safe and can make them more compliant and obedient. Fear defines Trump's philosophy, his personality, and his presidency. It is also his definition of power, according to Bob Woodward's aptly titled book, Fear. In it, Woodward reported that Trump told him, quote, real power is I don't even want to use the word fear. Trump, like cult leaders and dictators throughout history, seizes upon people's needs and fears and amplifies them. Like these authoritarian leaders, he may manufacture problems that do not exist and then say, trust me or believe me, and promise that only he can fix it. Given the right circumstances, sane, rational, well-adjusted people can be made to consider and ultimately believe the most outrageous leaders and propositions. There is a method to their madness. Cult leaders may look and behave differently, but even the craziest, most chaotic ones follow a similar pattern. While they usually have no academic training, they are masters of human psychology, especially social psychology. They understand that human beings are social creatures who, at some level, are wired to follow leaders and powerful members of their group. 
They know that they can confuse people with false information and lies, and then sow doubt by claiming that they never said what they said in the first place. People like to think they're rational and in control, but the lessons of history and social psychology demonstrate time and again that simply ain't so. We go about our ways and our lives using unconscious mental models. When cult leaders manipulate these models in subtle and overt ways, we can be persuaded to believe and do things we might never have considered without such systemic psychological influence. Ultimately, their goal is to make people dependent and obedient. Before the 24-7 world of smartphones and the internet, cult leaders would physically isolate members in order to control all aspects of their lives, their behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions, or what we call the BITE model of indoctrination, B-I-T-E. But physical isolation is not always necessary for indoctrination to occur. Through the media and the internet, people can be indoctrinated and even recruited on their smartphones or in their own homes. Some cult leaders, including pimps and human traffickers, use smartphones and digital technology to monitor and control their followers. Taken to an extreme, the indoctrination process can break down a person's fundamental identity to such an extent that they could be said to have a new pseudo-identity cast in the image of the group's leader or ideology. In her documentary, The Brainwashing of My Dad, Jan Senko shows how her once loving and liberal father, Frank, came to espouse hate-filled racist views after listening to Rush Limbaugh and other right-wing talk radio hosts for many hours a day while commuting to work. He was essentially radicalized by these shows and also by Fox News television. I have met and heard about followers of Trump who have undergone radical personality changes, adopting viewpoints that would have been abhorrent to their former selves. Perhaps most confounding is how so many devout Christians have come to believe that a man who cheated on his pregnant wife was handpicked by God. The book, The Cult of Trump. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Uh, Karen in Port here on Michigan. Hey, Karen, what's up? Hi, Tom. Yeah, I had Guillain-Barre. That's how you pronounce it. I had that in 2014. That was the disease that was the result of a badly designed vaccine, right? Well, no, it's been around for years. But in the 70s, with that uh, flu vaccine, they realized there was a lot more cases of Guillain-Barre. And they uh, traced it back to people getting a flu shot. Right, right. That now, was when I when Jerry that, Ford was president, wasn't it? Oh, maybe. <laughs> but when I I'm had sure, it, maybe. I don't really know what I got it from. But anyways, what happens is your immune system attacks your peripheral nerves. Mm-hmm. Peripheral And at nerves, first, yeah. you start feeling like tingling. And then it gets, you know, attacks it more and more. You get to the point where you're like, I was pretty much paralyzed. Oh, I could like lift my arms just a little bit, and did you go? It did, actually, it, did you recover? Oh yeah, and it actually attacked my breathing muscles too, huh. so I can't breathe, and I had to be intubated for that. Whoa! Yeah. Whoa! So I this actually, is yeah, and this I actually recovered pretty quick. I got to walk again pretty fast. Compared to most yeah, well, that's, people, that, people take more. Money. That's good, but I mean, this this is a disease that in the seventies people were getting from taking a poorly designed vaccine, and that's right. why you don't want to rush a vaccine out. Karen, thank you for sharing your story with us. That's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Bill in Woodstock, New York. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? I'm calling to ask everyone who's listening, and also yourself, Tom, to please call their government, call their governors, and all their government officials and demand N95 masks. The N95 mask is the only mask known to prevent me from getting the coronavirus and from giving the coronavirus to someone else. Most importantly, it prevents me from getting the coronavirus. People should be demanding this. The American public deserves and needs these masks. They're talking about opening up everything we need, I'm 59 years old, we need these masks, okay? Like I said, it's the only effective mask. They lowered the standard in the pandemic. All of a sudden in the pandemic, it's okay to use a cloth mask. It should be the other way around. When there's no pandemic, you want to use a cloth mask. The risk factor is way higher now. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well said, and, and you're absolutely right, Bill. And that was, I think, one of the reasons why Trump was visiting that factory in Arizona where they're making N95 masks. And this is a company that used to be making jet engines, as I recall. 
and now they're making these masks. That's a good thing. I mean, you know, that's what you want your government to be doing is using things like the Defense Production Act to make more masks. What about PPE? What about face guards? What about ventilators? What about, you know, now you've got a vaccine in all probability coming in the next six months. Are we going to have enough syringes to inoculate 320 million people? Are we going to have enough vials to fill with vaccine? Who knows? Is any planning being done in the White House? Best as we can tell, Jared Kushner's entire task force was volunteers from company like, companies like McKinsey who had absolutely no background in public health. I mean, it's like they're worse than useless. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, tell your friends how to find progressive media. Please, <laughs> let's, let's shake this country up a little bit and uh, get out there, get active, or you know, get in there, stay in your house and get active. Tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a wonderful afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 